0: him and honor him this morning let's give him the glory that he deserves amen yeah well then james just before we start let's just pray heavenly father i thank you what a powerful name we have in the son of god in the name of jesus lord when everything in our world can change when stuff is happening so quickly around us we thank you that there's a person there's one that does not change his Word never changes, Lord, when everything can change around us. Your Word, O oh God, is constant. It remains unchangeable. Lord, I thank You this morning that Your Word, O oh God, Lord, I thank You that it is living and active. It's sharper than a double-edged sword. Your Word this morning, I thank You, Lord, for Your people. I thank You that Your Word this morning can pierce, us, pierce the darkness of any trial, any tribulation any tragedy that people are going through right now, Lord, and you can bring hope and life and blessing and encouragement where there is darkness right now. Lord, I pray as we lift up our eyes to you and our our arms and our hands to you this morning, I just pray, Lord God, let it be a a gesture, Lord, that we're going to take our hands of the stuff that we try and work out in our life. And Lord, we allow you into our hearts to do only what you can do. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that, Lord, people who are struggling with fear, we sung it this morning, that you banish fear. Your goodness and mercy, your grace and your love will follow us, Lord. Truly will follow us. And I pray this morning, oh God, that you will, Lord God, you will banish fear and doubt in our hearts. And I pray, Lord God, that this morning an unwavering sense of security and a wavering sense of your peace and a wavering sense that everything is going to turn out just right in our lives, will prevail. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. It's great. It's a real honor to, to be with you this morning. You know, H- H- Haley was saying how I married her and Noel, and, and also married Al. I also married my mother as well, so there's not many people who've done that. About 15 years ago, whatever it was, Mam and Barry, they got married right up here, and I was at the honor and privilege of marrying them. There's not many people who've done that, is there? But um, I, I want to share this morning, just... Um, just reading the message that I want to share this morning, is really nothing, I think that God has, it's, it's what God has been saying through Pastor Dave and Pastor Fay. I think for many months now really, you know, the, the message that I want to speak this morning is really the, the same, it's the same sentiment of, as what Pastor Dave and Pastor Faye has been ministering, but maybe in just a little bit of a different context. I was in my son Joshua's bedroom, Joshua was 22 years of age, and I was just pondering about my kids and Nathan Josh, and I was just thinking about their lives. And I was I was in Josh's bedroom about two months ago or so, and I was he's got a globe of the world on his cupboard, and and I was just thinking about his life, his young life. He's in Bristol now, and I was just thinking about his adventurous spirit that had taken him to two different continents in a space of Weeks, really. He'd gone to Australia, did the Mericamp thing, and he'd come back, and then within a few days, he's gone off again to Australia, and he was planning to stay there, but he ran out of money, and he came back home. <laughs> you know, typically, the, the only one us when, when they haven't got any money. But, but anyway, but I was just thinking about I was just thinking about how I had the globe in my hand, and I was spanning the continents with my, my thumb and my, my little finger, and I was thinking, God, how small the world is. How small the world is. And in a sense, you know, the world is small. You know, we, we, can, we can hop on a plane and get anywhere in the world in a matter of hours. We can, you know, we can press a button and FaceTime somebody on the other side of the world. We eat food pretty much every day from the different parts, different corners of the world. And I was thinking, whoa, how, how small the world is. But, you know, as I was pondering on that thought, God just cut in. You know, sometimes he just cuts in. And he said, Dale, he said, you think, you think your world is small... You think the world is small because the problem is your world is small," he said. "You think the world is small because the problem is your world is small," and very often when God speaks to us, it's something we know inside, isn't it? It's something that we know in our spirit. But often when He says something that, you know, that that just we know inside, He's just communicated with us. He's spoken to us. It's so He grabs our attention, and so whether we can address that thing that He's communicating us about. And when God said that my world was small, I knew he wasn't just talking about my external world. He wasn't just talking about the places and the people that I see every day. I believe that more importantly, he was talking about my inner world. He was talking about the landscape of my heart. He's talking about the things that I value, the things that I I love, the things that I've they, hate, the things that have molded me and shaped me to be the person that I am today. I knew that God was speaking to me about that, my inside world. Because at the end of the day, I believe our world is as big as the way that we think. Our world is as big as our heart. And when God said those words to me, I knew that he wasn't just talking about my external world. He was talking about my inner world. And God led me to a story. As I thought of that, as God spoke into my heart, he led me to a story in the Old Testament. In Judges chapter six, it's the story of Gideon, and we're going to look at this morning. And God's shone a spotlight on aspects of my life that I believe that He wanted to encourage me, also challenge me to step out from where I am today, to start to move in the direction that God wants for my life. And I believe that there may be people here this morning He wants to do the same in your life. So we're going to read from from Judges chapter six. I want to look at a, quite a big. It's a big chapter, Judges chapter six, but I want to read quite a. A portion of scripture this morning, just to set the scene and lay a background for a want to share. Is that okay? So just stay with me. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read a big chunk of it. So starting from verse 1. Then the children of Israel, did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens in the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains... So it was, whenever Israel is sown, the Midianites would come up and also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. Then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. Verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you out from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Verse 11. Now, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree, which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joas the Abazrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in a wine press in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hands of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Verse 25. Now it came to pass the same night that the Lord said to him, Take your father's young bull, the second bull of the seven years old, and tear down the altar of Baal that your father's, and cut down the wooden image that is beside it. Verse 28. And when the men of the city arose early in the morning, there was the altar of Baal torn down, and the wooden image that was beside it was cut down. And the second bull was being offered on the altar which had been built. So they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And when they had inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son, that he may die, because he has torn down the altar of Baal, and because he has cut down the wooden image that was beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, would you plead for Baal? Would you save him? Let one who would plead for him be put to death by morning. If he is God, let him plead for himself, because his altar had been torn down. Therefore on that day he called him Jeroboam, saying, let Baal plead against him because he's torn down his altar. Verse 33. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites, the people of the east, gathered together, and they crossed over and encamped in the valley sorry, of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Then he blew the trumpet, and the Abbot's gathered behind him, and he sent messages throughout all Manasseh, who also gathered behind him. He also sent messages to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they came out to meet them. You now, reading this account of Gideon to me, when I read that story, for me, it's an amazing before and after story of the incredible difference that God can make in a person's life. You know, and, and, and for me, I'll, we're still a work in progress, aren't we? God hasn't finished with us yet. We haven't got the, the after picture. We're just in the before stage at this moment in time. But, you know, when I read that story, it spoke to me so so clearly about the amazing difference that God can make in a person's life. And I want to just share just three simple points today that resounded with me as I read this story. As God said, Dale, your world is small. That's the problem why you see the world as being small. You know, in this story we, we, we know that it's typical of Israel. They, they, they sin, they disobey God, they cry out to God and then God sends a prophet to, to the nation and he, he tells them how he, and he reminds them how he delivered a nation out of the hand of bondage, out of a, an, an oppressed land, into a land of freedom, into a land of blessing. And what I, what I thought of that story, do you know, that story is not too dim, dissimilar to the story that we face today. You see, just like Israel, you know, we have to, in order to take the promised land that God has for every single one of us. Do you know, folks, we have to walk our valleys, don't we? We have to slay our giants, we have to to climb our mountains, we have to put our strongholds to take possession of the land that God has for us. And this land, I'm convinced, is not just external, it's not just a place that God has for us, and I believe with all my heart that God's got a better place for us than where we are right now. Do you believe that? But the place also is inside of us. You see, everything happens inside before it manifests outside. And when I read this story, the first thing that really got impressed on my heart was this. Reading the story, just, just, just you know, as God spoke to me personally, really, you know, what you're getting this morning is, is, is my life really and where God how God has spoken to me and where I'm at. And God said this, he said to me, I read the story, the first point that came out of this scripture, the passage was this, if you take your eyes off God, you will end up in a small place. You take your eyes off Jesus, you'll end up in a small place. It's a bit like Peter when he was in the storm. We all know the story, don't we? The disciples are rowing in the, in, in the storm there. They're toiling away, trying to, trying to get out of this, this storm that they were in. And they're all freaking out. And then Jesus walks toward them on the water. And, and they're freaking out. They think they've seen a ghost. And Peter, foot and mouth Peter, Peter always speaking before he's, he's thinking, isn't he? He says, Lord, if it's you, ask me to come to you. How crazy, there's a storm going on. And so Jesus, in his mercy and his grace, says, Peter, come to me. And Peter steps out of the natural. He does something that no other, no other human being in the, in, in the history has done. He steps out of the natural into the stupid, supernatural and he walks on water towards Jesus. He's walking on water. But then when he realizes what he's actually doing, when he sees the ferocity of the storm, the wind and the waves that are, that are coming against him, he takes his eyes off Jesus and he begins to sink. And, and, and Peter prays probably the shortest prayer you'll ever find in the Word. He says, Lord, help me. Anybody prayed a prayer like that? I pray them every day. Lord, help me. Jesus, help me. I pray it pray at home. I pray it at work. I, I pray those prayers, don't we? We all pray them. Aren't you glad that the Bible says the righteous cries out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. God is with us, folks. And when Peter prayed that prayer, Jesus was there to catch him by the arm and lift him up again. Aren't you there glad when you fall? Jesus is with us. He's not just with us in the good times. He's with us when we fall. But you know, know, fear, it acts as a trap that can shrink our world. Because what happens very often when we fear, we rearrange our lives to avoid the things that we fear. Isn't that the case? Fear will trap people. It will put people in a box and it will shrink our world. Do you know, I heard that somebody said that fear should be renamed interfere, Because that's what it does. It, it, I tell you, fear will interfere with God's unique, tailor-made plan and purpose for your life if you allow it. Do you know, according to... Most studies, people's number one fear is public speaking. Did you know that? This, now, this can't be right. The second biggest fear is death. So that means if you're at the funeral, most people prefer to be in the coffin than they were doing the eulogy. That can't be right, can it? What is going on there? But you know, fear, fear, do you know fear? If we allow fear to grip us, it will, it will contain us and put, put us in a box. Do you know, I couldn't, you know, for me, you know, whilst, whilst you know, and we've all been there, you know, whilst, whilst we want to be in a place of comfort, you know, very often we want to be in a place of comfort and safety. But, you know, if we want to be in that place of comfort and safety, what will happen is we'll pay a heavy price because we'll, we'll wrap ourselves in a cocoon of comfort that we will no, allow nothing, nobody no one to shake us out of that thing. When the truth is, if we would just step out, God's got a wonderful place of freedom and victory and blessing for us. If we were willing to trust God, we sang about it this morning, if we will trust God, God can take us out of this place we're in right now into a place of blessing and freedom. After 400 years of slavery in Egypt, God led Israel out of a out of bondage into a blessed land. This was a land full of promise. It was a land full of potential. It was a fertile land. It was an incredible land. It was a spacious land. This land was massive. God said to Israel, after they came out of this place of bondage, he gave them a, a, an open space, a big land. And God said, the land is going to be too big for you. I'm not going to give it to you all at once because the land is going to be too big. The wild animals, animals in it are going to be too numerous. But as you, as you grow enough and increase enough, you will take more possession. You'll take possession of the land, but in the story of Gideon, we find that Israel are in a sad, sad state. Their world had diminished to such an extent they would they to the mountains and were hiding in caves. Why? Why were they? Why? Had they, why, were they, why had they fled? Why had their world become small? Because of the fear of their enemies. Why did they fear their enemies? Because they'd taken their eyes off God. You see, the first time we read of Gideon is that he's threshing wheat in a wine press. The wine press was just a glorified hole in the ground. That's all it was. You know this morning, do you find your place yourself in a place that's not where you should be? Do you find yourself in a hole? Do you know the first law of holes is? Stop digging. Stop making it worse, and start to trust Jesus to get you out. Do you know that the wine press was not designed for the place? for the job that Gideon was supposed to be doing. The wine press was for treading grapes and not threshing wheat. In the Old Testament, if an Old Testament farmer, if he wanted to thresh wheat, he would go to an open space, an elevated place, and there with his wooden fork, he would throw the wheat up in the air, and the wind would take away the chaff, would separate it from the kernels, from the wheat. But instead of Gideon being an open place... Instead of him being in an elevated place like we should be as a a people of God, he's in fear in a hole, frightened of his enemies, holding on to the little that he's got. Do you know, when people take their eyes off God, and when they act out of fear, very often you can find them threshing wheat in a wine press. You know, some things that I I was thinking about this morning, about the wine press. The wine press was a hard place. Threshing wheat in a wine press would have been hard. Trying to thresh wheat without the, the wind to blow away the chaff, to, to leave the sea behind, would have been difficult in a wine press. You know, folks, it's difficult. It's a hard place. When, you've, when you haven't got the inspiration of the Holy Ghost to help you in a job or in a task that you're doing, it's a hard place to be. It really is. When 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 it seems as if the heavens are brass, you're crying out to God for help. You're crying out to God for deliverance. And there doesn't seem to be an answer. It is really a hard place to be. You know, it can can erode your strength. It can sap your resilience to keep on going. Have you been in a place like that? I I don't know about you, but I've been in a place like that. And it's not a good place to be. The wine press was also a suffocating place, I thought, when I read this story. Threshing wheat in a confined space with very little air, it would have been difficult for Gideon to breathe. You know, when when you're threshing wheat, the dust from the wheat would have kicked up and it would have been choking Gideon. Do do you find yourself right now in a place where you feel you're being choked? What it feels as if the walls of life are caving in around you. And just like Gideon on his own, nobody knows how you're feeling. You go to bed at night and you cry yourself to sleep because nobody really knows. What you are going through? It's not a good place to be. You see, the wine press was for crushing grapes, not threshing wheat. You see, the wine press will crush us. The wine press will try and crush you and mold you to be a person that God has not designed you to be. But I want to declare to you this morning, if you're in a place where you're feeling crushed, where you feel as if you're being choked, let me say this. The crushing that God may allow for a season is not going to harm you. Amen? You know, in fact, I believe that the crushing is going to release... Something of Jesus in us its going to release the sweet smell in favor of the Holy Ghost that's going to be infused into the lives of people around you. Amen. The crushing is for a reason, but it's not going to harm you. It's not going to destroy you. The fragrance of Jesus, the more, you know, it's it's incredible. The more we're crushed, you know, with the Holy Ghost inside of us, the more of Jesus can come out of us. Amen. You know, you may feel this morning as if your life has no fragrance at all. I don't know about you, but there's times when I feel as if my life stinks, let alone has no fragrance. (laughs) There are times when, do you know, but I think, you know, I think, and I believe this and it sounds cheesy, you may be going through a load of rubbish right now. I could say a stronger word than that, but I'm not going to say it. But I tell you, your life is going to come come out smelling of roses. I really believe that with all my heart. Amen. (laughs) Do you know, when I, I was a gardener in Bellevue Park, uh, yeah, so ten, well, I mean, 20 years ago, whatever it was, and I can remember this, this rose bed, big circular rose bed by one of the entrances to the park. And, and, and these rose bushes, you, there was probably about 20 or 30 rose bushes in this rose bed. And, and February, March, or whatever it was, you, you'd whack those rose bushes down almost to probably a of foot off the ground. And then if that wasn't enough for those poor old rose bushes, you'd heap a load of manure on top of them. And they'd be, you'd just see, barely see the stems above the rose bushes. And I can remember one season looking at these bushes thinking, oh my God, are they going to recover? Are they going to come back? I thought, I hope this fellow knows what he's doing. Thank goodness I was the one that pruned them. But you know, come the summertime, boy, those r- rose bushes grew. The blooms on those rose bushes were amazing. The scent that was coming off those rose bushes was absolutely incredible. Listen, your life, in God's timing, is going to blossom and bloom. Amen? You know, it is. It's going to bloom. And I like what somebody said. What the enemy will use to cause a stink in your life, God is going to use as fertilizer to produce new growth. Amen? God is going to do it. But not only was... When I looked at this story, I felt that not only was the winepress a hard place, it was a suffocating place, it was also a dark place there would have been very little light in the wine press gideon would not have been able to see clearly as he was threshing the wheat it's difficult in, to function in a place where there's no light isn't it life needs light it's difficult to function i'll tell you if you're in a place right now where you don't get any, anything from the word there's no illumination from god's word you can't hear his voice it's a difficult place to be you see the the wine press will lie to you the wine press will lie to you you know the, I was thinking about you know the proverbial saying about it's difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff? In a wine press, it's difficult to separate the wheat from the chaff, the lies from the truth. That's what, what, what is authentic from that's what's just lies in a wine press, because the wine press will lie to you. The wine press will tell you you won't find another place like this one. You won't find another job like this one, you won't find another ministry like this one, you'll ne- never never find another relationship like this one. When the truth is, you know folks, the truth is that God has incredible people that he wants us to meet. God has got amazing opportunities that he wants us to take hold of and and seize. He's got an incredible ministry. I believe this with all my heart. You know, there is a process, but he's got a wonderful ministry that he wants to release you in. If you would just trust him and believe in him. You know... Israel were in the state they were in because they'd taken their eyes off God and they began to fear their enemies. You know, God told Israel not to fear their enemies. The only one that he he said that they were to fear was him. And this is important. You know, when when we talk about the the fear of God, the fear that God says we have toward him is, is liberating. It's not crippling or paralyzing. It doesn't stop us dead in our tracks. In fact, it liberates us. The fear that God says we're to have toward Him is a fear that reveres Him. A fear that honors Him and respects Him. It's a fear that causes us to ultimately obey Him. It's a fear that actually will set us free from caving into our own sinful nature and all the emotions and all the feelings that go with it. That's what the fear of God, the Lord says, we're to have toward Him. But because... Israel had taken their eyes of God. They allowed the fear of their enemies to take hold of them. And this is how subtle and sneaky the enemy works. You know, it wasn't as if Israel had suddenly woke up one morning and thought, right, that's it, no more God. They hadn't turned their back on God overnight. They hadn't subtracted God out of their life. What they'd done, they'd added other gods in. See, there's a difference, isn't there? And it's there's a scripture that as I was thinking about this thought, there's a scripture that I found in Isaiah 29, 13, and it says this: Isaiah, God said to Isaiah, He said, These people, they come to me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. He said, The commandments, their worship and their and their fear of me are just commandments that have just been memorized. One version says, Isn't that a wild thought? The commandments that have just been memorised. Have you ever? I was thinking about Lord. Can you give me an illustration here for this 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 thought? And and God, and just God, sort of reminded me of a situation I was in. Have you ever been to a to a to a Tesco's or to a supermarket, and you've been served by a cashier that could hardly speak to you, just give you a grunt, and that was about it. And then when they start to put the, you start to put your your your, your shopping on the on the, uh, the conveyor. And they're scanning that stuff at a million miles an hour. You're thinking, my God, steady on. I don't know whether they're on commission. But that stuff is going on so quickly, you haven't got time enough to stick it in your bag. Al does it. She's great at it. I don't know how she does it. But she can fill up about five bags to my half a bag. I am rubbish. But, and then eventually, you know, I can remember this, this cashier. And when they spoke, it was like, as if what they said was just like monotone. It was, it was like almost said parrot fashion. They probably said what they said to me a million times before. There was no life in what they said. They served me, but there was no real connection. There was no interest shown. The only probably interest here, I was clocking off and do whatever they were going to do after work. But, you know, I, I thought, are we like that with God sometimes? Do we say, Lord, we want to worship you, we want to follow you, but there's no real heart, there's no real connection? And where God was once the center of our life, where he was, he, he, he was everything that we wanted him to be. You know, we would, when we woke up in the morning, we'd think of Jesus. When we went, out of, went to bed at night, we'd think about him. He, he was just, our desire was just to serve him. Our, our longing was just to tell people about Jesus. But now, you know, now somehow, some of that stuff has gone. Yeah, you know, you, you love Jesus, you still come to church. You still sing the songs, you read the Word, but somehow, somewhere, the life has gone out of that. Out of the things that you say, the words that you speak. There's not that spark in your life anymore. Do you know, I believe that Jesus wants to ignite a passion for Him. Amen? Not a passion necessarily for ministry or a passion for being up front on stage or whatever. A passion for Jesus. God wants to ignite that passion within us. He really does. But if you find yourself in a wine press this morning... You know, I believe that God doesn't just want to take you to a wine press. He wants to take you to an open place, to the threshing floor, where the chaff of all the rubbish, the doubt, the fear, can be separated from the seed of faith. There's faith in us. I like what Pastor Day said. Listen, our faith hasn't, been, hasn't got to be in proportion to the trial we're facing right now. If there's faith in us. And God wants to separate the rubbish from the seed of a of faith and the seed of a champion that's inside you and me. Amen? He's going to take us out of the wine press in his time. A couple of things I want to share just about the wine press with the time we've gone left. The first point is this. If you want to get out of the wine press, you must stop listening to the critic and start believing your creator. You've got to stop listening to the critic and start believing the creator, whether the critic is voices of the past Or whether it's people in the present. It's like what God has been saying through Pastor Dave. We have to evaluate the voices that we allow to speak into our life. Amen? You know, whether we like it or not, it's an absolute fact. We can't can't skirt around it. People will label us. They will. Won't they? People label you and I. You know, first impressions often. They get an impression of us and they will label us. We can't do anything about the labels that people put on us. And and it's okay having a label as long as that label is the right one. As long as a label complements who we are in God. As long as a label matches up with God's word. As long as as the label that we take on board says, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That we're we're, we're more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. We can do all things. That your head and not the tail, you're above and not beneath. As long as the labels are the right labels. But the problem is, is when we allow people, when we allow critics to speak into our life, to speak negativity and doubt and pigeonhole us, and we start believing their lies, when we start believing the stuff like, you'll never do that. You'll never do it. You're a waste of time. You're useless. You're rubbish. You're no good. Who do you think you are? How many of us have said that? Or it's been said... To us. You no, know, we can't stop people talking about... Or putting a label on us. But what we can do is allow what we accept into our heart. We can, we, we can do something about what we embrace. Because what labels we choose become our belief system. The labels we take on board become our beliefs. And what we believe will ultimately determine the way that we behave. It will. Do you know... I am convinced that our world is as big or as small as the way that we think. Anybody agree with me? Yeah. We are made in the image of God. He's a creator. And as God is a creator, he's given us the ability to create. Al, Al Nathan, and I, we went, to, uh, we went to the pictures about, I don't know, a couple of months ago. And we saw, we saw the film, The Greatest Showman. How many have seen the film? Do you know, we love, I don't know about you, but I love the film. It had some, you know, mixed reviews, but I love the film. And there's a, the film, for those of you who haven't seen it, is about P.T. Barnum, who was a showman, an entrepreneur, who started the Barnum and Bailey Circus. And the show is, and the film is about how as a young boy living in poverty, he had a dream to become rich and famous, he had a dream to, to marry this young girl who came from a wealthy family. And in spite of all the setbacks and all the knocks and the, the heartache he went to, he became rich and famous. He fulfilled his dream. But there's a, there's, there's a song at the beginning of the film that Barnum sings. I'm not going to sing it. This is not my cue to sing the chorus of the song. <laughs> Alison is dreading this. I'm not going to sing it. No, no I'm not going to do it. Because every night I lie in bed. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> No, I'm not going to do it. But anyway, that's enough. You'll have to come back next week for the other bit, all right? Because <laughs> every night I lie in bed, the brightest colors fill my head. A million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be, a vision of the one I see. A million dreams are all it's going to take. A million dreams of the world we're going to make. Do you know what I thought about that? Barnum painted a picture of what he wanted his world to be, and he got other to, people to follow him. And that's just like Gideon. But the difference was that God gave Gideon a picture of what he wanted his world to be. And by the power of the Holy Ghost, Gideon rallied the troops and he got the people of Israel to follow him. Do you know, in contrast, the Bible says, where there is no vision, people perish. Where there is no vision, where there is no ability to look beyond where you are today, very often you've got no hope. Can you see a better day than today? Can you see a more prosperous place? Well done, James. That's awesome, mate. <laughs> can you see a more prosperous place, a blessed place, a place of peace, a, a place where you've got, as Noel said earlier on, more than enough so you can bless and, and impart your blessing to other people? Can you see a place like that? Because if you can't, then it means you have no hope. You know, I was, I was walking in, in town last week, and I saw a fella that he's a... He's like, a, he's like a Caleb. I saw this guy that was part of this church with his wife for many years. And we were talking away, spent the dinner, I was just talking to this man, great man of God, Caleb's spirit about him. And, and this man has gone through his fair share of problems. He's had trouble and trials in his family, and his wider family. And this man, he's 75 years of age, he's working for two voluntary organizations, he's working full time, five days a week, the organizations that he's serving is doing an incredible job they're serving the community they're impacting their world he's doing an awesome job and this fella one of the first things he said to me with a beaming smile on his face was this he said I'm 75 years of age and I can't wait for the next 25 years I thought praise God that's the spirit I have there's me coming out of the office looking sad faced and glum because I'm about to tell somebody off and he's there saying I'm 75 years of age I can't wait for the next 25 years How awesome is that? That's the spirit that God wants us to have. Just like Caleb, 80 years of age, and he said, God, I'm taking this mountain. That mountain is mine. I'm taking all of the possession that God has got for me. And that's the spirit that God wants us to have. Amen? Amen. I've lost my plot now. I lost my sewing. You know, you can endure a lot when you have vision. But when you haven't got vision... When you can't see ahead of you, it's really tough, isn't it? The Bible says of Jesus that for the joy that's set before him he endured the cross. Jesus went through the torture, the pain and the agony of the cross because he looked through the portals of time and he saw a lot here today and he saw millions of others of us, people just like us, enjoying his peace and his presence and his love for eternity. That's why Jesus endured the pain and the torture of the cross. You. you know, somebody... Asked J.K. Rowling. You know J.K. Rowling, the, the person who wrote the Harry Potter books? They asked her, what was it that kept you going as a single parent, writing your first book in a bookshop with a child next to you, living off benefits, living off welfare? They asked, what kept you going? Do you know what she said? She said, having a vision of walking into a bookstore and seeing my book on the shelf. You see, God has given us the ability to create, just as he's a creator. God has given us the ability to dream. He really has. He is speaking to us. He's communicating with us. But the question is, are we listening? Are we seeing? If all we're thinking about is the negative, if all we think about is I'm not good enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not clever enough, I'm not wise enough, I'm not rich enough, then we'll never get out of the wine press. We'll stay where we are. But we have to remember, do you know, Pastor Dave has been really encouraging me and there's been times where, you know, I've been low and, and, and we've gone for a coffee and the, and the one thing that, that, that really resonates with, with me in what Pastor Dave has been saying really is this, it's not about us, it's about him. Yes. You know, I look at Pastor Dave and I see a man, when it comes to serving this house and serving his family, he's a man who's selfless and he puts others before he put, before himself. Yes. Folks, it isn't about us. If we think we can do what God's called us to do on our own, we've got to be—we've got to be nuts. It's about Him. If it were about us, we may as well pack up and go home now. But it's about Him. The Bible says that we can do exceedingly abundantly above all we, that you know. He, with Christ in us, above all we can ask or think. Amen. We can do through—we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. You know, if people would have appeared into the wine press, they would have seen a man with no face. No hope and no vision for the future. They would have. But you know what God saw? He saw beyond that. You know, if people would have peered into a wine press, they would have seen a coward, a man that was in fear of his enemies, a man that said, This is, he was so down on himself that he said, My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, Gideon was saying, I'm the runt of my family. That's what I thought of what he said. I'm, I'm the runt of the litter. That's what Gideon was saying. I'm the least of the least. You know, there are people there where I work, and they, they just love animals. They're just passionate f- about animals. And I was just, I was thought, when I saw I was just thinking, thinking about this thought, and I asked them about if they were to choose, say, a puppy from a litter, which one would they go for? And, you know, most of them said they'd go for the run to the litter. I was amazed. I said, why would you choose the run to the litter? They said, because we would want the one that nobody else wants. We would want to give it a lovely home. Do you know God is like that? God chooses the runt of the litter. He does because he's always rooting for the underdog. Amen? He's always rooting for the underdog. He is. Do you feel like you're the runt of the litter this morning? Do you know the runt of the litter, if you, if you pick the runt of the litter, it's always the weakest. It's always the one that, that has to fight for every single morsel of food that it gets every ounce of milk that it gets from its mother, it's the the one that's least likely to make it. Do you feel like that this morning? You know, you look at your life, you look at your family, you look at your friends, and you see they are all running on. They all seem to be prospering. They all seem to be making it. And my God, you know, you're just struggling just to barely keep your head above water just to make it through the day. Do you feel like that? Listen, God is for you, not against you. Amen? He is rooting for you this morning. Listen, he roots for the underdog. He's with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. And I'll tell you this, folks, he's not chosen you last either. You know, the runt is always the one that's left or last. God hasn't chosen you last. You were, you were in his heart before the foundation of this world. Before you were even knit in your mother's and father's womb, he knew you. He knew everything about you. He knew, knows the end of your life before you've even lived it. God's got an awesome plan. You weren't a mistake. You weren't an accident. God knew you would be here today. He's chosen you. He's picked you. You were not chosen last. Anybody been in a place where they've been chosen last or worse, not even chosen at all? Anybody been there? Yeah. I've been there. I've shared this story before, but I thought it'd be worth sharing again. I was, um, I was on holiday with, with Nathan and Josh and Al. This is when the kids were younger. They were probably, Nathan was about eight and Josh was about ten. And the... And the and the, uh, the hotel decided to organise this game of football on the beach. So I thought it was a dad. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll will I'll get involved. It was probably the last time I've ever played football, to be honest. So anyway, so we go, get on the beach, and there's all the dads, and there's all the kids are there, all lined up in a in a in a row. And there's the, so they picked two kids to be captains, and they had to select from the bunch. And I thought, well, you know, they can look upon me, and they can think, well, I'm, you know, they can see I can play football. Surely they can see if I can play football. I thought, they're going to pick me. I'm going to be one of the first ones to be picked. And guess what? <laughs> and guess what happened? It was worse than that, actually. <laughs> but anyway, do you know, they picked this fella. They picked the kids first. And I thought, well, that's fair enough. They can run around. They're energetic. I'm sure that, you know, and they're probably half of them were their friends anyway. So that's fair enough. And they picked this guy next to me. I tell you, he was as wide as he was tall. I thought, well, they'll stick him in goal, so he's all right. But I started to panic when they picked this chap. and don't know who he was. He looked like he came out of the sea. He looked like something like the creature from the Black Lagoon. <laughs> I thought, my God, what's happening here? And I was probably, I, I wasn't picked last, but I was one of the last ones to be picked. And, do you know, do you know my ego, my pride was dented. I tell you, I ran around that, I ran around the beach for about an hour chasing a ball. I don't think I ever, I don't think I kicked the ball. I don't think I kicked it for an hour. I got back to the lounge. honestly, I was in absolute agony. My God, I thought I was going to have sunstroke on the beach, <laughs> I got to the sunbed, no whatever a lie. I flaked out on the sunbed. About an hour later, I got up to get a drink, and my body had seized up. I couldn't walk. And you know what? I got up. I got up. Do you know what? I had all these, I don't know what I'd done to my legs, but I had all bruises at the back of my legs. I think I damaged my hamstrings or whatever. I couldn't walk for a week or more. It was awful. All because I was picked last. I was chosen one of the last. But listen, when God looked at Gideon in the wine press, he saw so much more than the runt of the litter. He saw so much more than a ball in a flat fella trying to play football. Gideon, he saw beyond Gideon's weakness and frailties, and he saw a mighty man of valour. And I tell you this this morning, God sees so much more than your weakness, your frailties, your fear, your doubt, your unbelief, your sin. He sees... He sees a mighty man and woman of God this morning. God declares who we are this morning, not by what's gone on in the past, not by what's happening right now in the present, but simply and purely because of His power. God declares that you are this morning, I want to prophesy this over your life. I don't care what you've done, I don't care what you've been, in God's sight, you are a mighty man and woman of valor. I can hear some music. I don't know what's going on there. it must be my cue to get up, I think. Before, listen, before, yeah. i got loads Yeah, I'm not going to get through it. I really, I might, I might only, I'll just have to pick up, I don't know. Probably in about a year's time when I preach next, I know. But anyway, before Gideon met God, Gideon found his strength and identity in himself and his people. But after he met God, things were different. His identity was in, in God alone. And you know, folks, we must honor our loved ones. We must honor our family. But do you know, folks, we've been adopted into a new family. We have a new father. And if we are ever going to accomplish God's plan and purpose for our lives, we must find our identity first and foremost in him. We have to. Because if we believe the stuff that that other people will say, we'll never fulfill the call of God on our lives. Gideon was a mighty man of valor because of what, not what his family said or his tribe said, but because of what God said. God calls things, amen, Mark? God calls things that are not as if they are. God called Abraham the father of many nations before he had a kid. God called Moses a deliverer of a nation when he was hiding in the desert. From a murder charge. Jesus called Peter the rock when he was as unstable as the water that he tried to walk on. As a believer in Jesus today, no matter what has gone on in your life, no matter how much of a failure you think you are, God wants to speak over you a new identity. You are a mighty man. Every single one of you in this place a mighty man, a mighty woman of valor. God wants those words to resound in your heart. In fact, he wants those words, I believe, to be the anthem of your heart. You know, I can see Cal here today, what a great sportsman he is. And I was just thinking about, you know, rugby players, when they play for their country and they, they get up before an international, a big game, they put their hand on their heart they sing the anthem with such passion, with such fervent zeal, tears often coming down their faces. Why? Because they're identifying with their cause. They're identifying with the thousands, maybe millions of people that are rooting for them. Do you know, when you declare that you're a mighty man and wo- woman of valor, it's not ego or pride. You are identifying with the cause, God's cause. You're identifying with the thousands and thousands of witnesses in, heavenly, in, the, in heaven that are rooting for you. It's not ego. It's not pride to say I'm a mighty man or woman of valor. It's said by faith. There's a Gideon inside each one of us. And it's time to let him out or her out. God doesn't want us cowering in a fear, in, in, in a hole, in fear, holding on and embracing the little we've got any longer. He wants us to step out. I'm just going to just quickly go through this point. I'm going to spend just a couple of minutes. The third point that God said was this. Before you can step out into a big place, said, so Dale, you've got to make a stand in a small place. Before you step out into a big place, you've got to make a stand in a small place. Before Gideon could rescue a nation, he had to rescue his family. He had to sort his own house out. It says in Judges 6.25 that the same night the Lord said to him take the second bull from your father's herd the one seven years old tear on your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it Gideon's mission started in his own house first the first assignment that God gave Gideon was not to conquer the Midianites but to confront the mess not to conquer the Midianites but to confront the mess the mess that he, his family and the nation had got into because they'd worshipped and served everything else other than God so when God was saying to Gideon, what, he told him to, 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 to demolish the altar and cut down that Asherah pole, that, that idol was beside of it. You see, God was showing Gideon that before the Midianites, Midianites the enemies could go, Baal, Baal and Asherah had to go. Because God is a jealous God. He doesn't want anyone else coming first in our lives. He doesn't want any, look, he won't compete for center stage. You know, and I was thinking, what is, it, what is it in our lives that we've allowed to come before God? Maybe something that we put our trust in, something that we, that we idolized, something that we worshipped. And that thing has gone pear-shaped and has come back to bite us on the backside. And is saying to us, God doesn't love you anymore. God doesn't care for you. Look at the hurt, look at the pain, look at the mess that you're in. You know... These idols, they were only just dead pieces of wood and stone. But what was behind them was powerful. You see, what was behind them was a powerful spirit of of unbelief, a spirit that would have shouted out every time that Gideon would have walked past those things. It would have said, look at your hardship. Look at your unmet needs. Look at your poverty. Look at the struggle. God has abandoned you. God has forsaken you. When the truth was, God hadn't abandoned Israel. Israel had abandoned God. (laughs) God. But what is it this morning that, you know, we've worshipped, we've put before God, and now this thing is, is biting us on the backside, it's shouting at us, it's taunting us. God has forsaken you. God has abandoned you. It might be a broken marriage. A kid that's gone off the rails. A child that you loved and they've gone off. You've put before anyone, he's gone off the rails. A business that's gone, maybe pear-shaped, gone bankrupt. A ministry that's failed. What is it that maybe you've put before God Just, just very quickly, it, it was Gideon's father Joash who built the altar to Baal. And he was the one who directed this ashra Paul and it was in, he built it in his own backyard. It was right in his garden. It wasn't just for their private use. It would have been like a shrine and all the people would have come to worship in that thing. And I thought about this, you know, they weren't just participating in sin, Gideon and his family, they were actually promoting it. So God said to Gideon, you've got to sort that out. You have to sort that out and demolishing the altar of Baal and the Asherah Paul that was beside it Gideon was making a massive statement he was making a statement he was saying I'm turning my back on the world I'm turning my back on a world that want, on a godless system that wants to confine me wants to control me and wants to consume everything I have and he's saying Lord I turn my back on all that stuff and I'm serving you my, my life, my hope everything I am Lord is now found in you Folks, it's in Him we live and move and find our being and have our being, isn't it? It's in God. It's not in us, It's not even in our family. It's not our job or, 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 or our ministry. It's in Him we live and move and have our being. Amen. I'm going to close on that. There's so much more I could say. Just Jesus, can we just all stand right now? just on closing. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that, Lord, that you see us, every single one of us. You know everything about us. You know our life. You know the things that we keep hidden, the things that we put on display. You know everything about us, Lord. Lord, I just pray this morning, Lord, that your word may go forth into the lives and hearts of people here may take root. Lord, I, I prophesy over your people this morning that they are mighty men and women of valour. They, they can do all things through you who will strengthen them. And Lord, I pray for those who find themselves right now in a place of despair, in a place where they feel they're being crushed by life, in a place where they feel that they can't breathe, in a place where they feel that there's no inspiration, no illumination from you. Father, I pray that you will speak to their heart through this message, through your word. Let them know how precious, how important, how special they are. Lord, I ask this morning, Lord God, that, Lord, as we step out of our own strength into your strength, Lord, that we'll do incredible things for you. Lord, very often we come to you with a, and we say, Lord, we're going to do this and that. And God says, no, all I want you to do is to be available for me. Because I want to do something in you that you can do. And Lord, I pray this morning that, Father God, that you will strengthen your people, strengthen the hands of your people to do the work that you've called them to do. Lord, that people who are in a wine press, Lord, in this place, there's a hard place, a suffocating place, a dark place. I pray, Lord God, as they they obey your word, that, Lord, you will take them out of that place into an open space, into a place of freedom, a place of blessing, a place of victory. Lord, we thank you for, for what you're doing in this place, Lord. And I thank you that, Lord God, as we come together as your people, there are great days ahead. There are great times ahead. Lord, I thank you that, Lord God, we've, we've only just begun. Lord, and I thank you that, Lord, as we sang this morning, surely love and mercy, your peace and your kindness will follow us all the days of our life, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.